Welcome in, everybody, to the Cutback Podcast, where we keep our head on a swivel to bring you our living room commentary on the latest and greatest from the world of sports and the business that surrounds it. I'm Ian Burley. I'm Cullen Munns, and we are off and running. And, you know, I think it's only, I think it's only fitting this week that we, I channel, you know, my inner Brent Musburger and let the people know that we are indeed reporting live from Amarillo, Texas. We are taking the people to where the news is happening. You've had a hell of a road trip yesterday to uh, find yourself down in Amarillo. And I appreciate that you're now in, in like classic Twitter form doing this video from your, the front seat of your car. Also with your seatbelt on, which is just safety to the T. Hey, man, wear a mask, wear your seatbelt. They go hand in hand. Like, just got to do it. Also, I want the people to know if you're ever find yourself driving through Oklahoma, um, you need to open up a new checking account to get through uh, because that state will toll the ever living shit out of you. Um, I literally drove across Oklahoma and had to pay that hellhole of a state twenty seven dollars in tolls just to get out. Like, it's ridiculous. I'm quite upset about it. That's not something they show you on Storm Chasers as they're ripping through the panhandle, just chasing these big old tornadoes. No, they, they're every five miles. They make you pull over, pay a five or excuse me, every 20 miles, pull over and pay a five dollar toll. And I'm like, I'm literally on a, you know, 900 mile trip and you're making me stop every 20 miles to pay you five dollars to leave. This is ridiculous. Uh, and they, they wonder why. uh Oklahoma tourism isn't just flourishing. Yeah. I mean, save Adrian Peterson. What does Oklahoma have for them? Yeah, Unknown. But hey, let's go ahead and grip it and rip it. But before we do, uh, we do want to give ourselves some little plugs here. So for those that may be new to the show, uh, we are live on Twitter and Instagram. So you can find us at the Cutback Pod. Uh, you can also listen to us on Spotify. And if you're not a Spotify fan, you can go to our hosting website where all the episodes are also available that is anchor.fm forward slash the cutback. And just as a quick uh, addition to that, if you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, wherever, let us know what you want to hear, what you want to hear us to talk about, because we do follow and listen and read all of that stuff. Um, so if there's something in particular you want to talk about, want us to talk about, put it on there. Yeah, the Instagram DMs were hot over the past couple of days, and we've been doing our best to get in there and uh, attempt to respond to people. So continue, keep the feedback coming, keep the ideas coming. We're here for all the conversation. With that, we want to try something a little different this week because uh, we realize that not every week is going to have a topic that Colin and I feel like we can kind of dive into and spend 30 or 40 minutes talking about. So we wanted to do a little bit more of a grab bag operation this week. So we've got a bunch of different kind of work topics that we're going to start to talk about and we're going to get to kind of as, as many feels right. So Colin, you, you've kind of seen the list. Is there one that you want to start with or do you want me to just start from the top how do you want to do this i think let's let's start with climate pledge let's kind of go short to long because i think the and i think the long one is obviously the nil and college athletes but let's let's kind of go the short ones to the long ones yeah so a big happening in the news this week was while many companies are uh, decreasing spending and especially in sports sponsorship amazon came in and dropped the bag and uh, purchase the naming rights to the arena, which will host NHL Seattle, uh, as well as the Seattle Storm of the WNBA and of Tom Bridger fame. And Tom Bridger. <laughs> shout out the Beasley boys. Um, so Amazon bought the naming rights and they are going to name the arena Climate Pledge Arena. 
Um, it is tabbed to be the first carbon neutral arena in the world. My initial response to that is we'll see. Uh, if it's not, it wouldn't be the first time that a, uh, a grandiose development plan did not come true. Just ask the people of uh, the little Caesars. Promises made, promises kept, highest ratings. <laughs> yeah. So it all looks good on paper, but it's a big, we'll see. Financially, it's a, it's a naming rights deal um, greater than anything I've ever seen before. The deal is being reported as a 10-year deal um, with a price tag of 30 to $40 million per year for the naming rights. Now, to put that in context a little bit, there are naming rights agreements that are as, as low as like the 2 to $3 million uh, price tag per year. Average naming rights are, are kind of like a 20-year deal, anywhere in that maybe 10 to 15, 20 max million dollar a year per year. So Amazon really came in here and just fucking reset the market as as we talked about a couple of weeks ago and said, now nah, we're taking over. This is our home city and uh, we're going to make this ours. But and, and they did reset the market in its entirety. And everybody else who's got a naming rights deal coming up um, is probably doing cartwheels right now that Amazon did this. Um, but I also think just on a the meshing of brands that you're putting together um just i think seattle is a great place to start this initiative i i don't think um climate pledge arena would really do so hot in amarillo texas or or you know elsewhere so i think you kind of got that blending of whatever co same message co-message that's happening within the community the team the brand itself i just think it, it meshes well yeah, there's a lot of cohesion there. I mean, not only is Amazon headquartered in Seattle, but for them to kind of have the whereabouts to understand that climate change and climate action is an important issue in our society uh, and that the Pacific Northwest and Seattle specifically are kind of on the leading edge of of pushing that narrative in society. It, it just makes a lot of sense um, for them to to name the arena something that causes people to think about our climate uh, versus causing them to think about Amazon. Now, this did kind of pose an interesting question for me that I'm curious to hear your thoughts of. This was something that we talked about in a couple different classes we had at Oregon where we see brands and even teams do these sustainability campaigns, campaigns for different social causes across a, a broad spectrum. And I always ask myself, what's the intent behind this? Is the intent to actually push the message forward and to be kind of authentic uh, in their voice? Or is the intent ultimately self-serving because they know if they create these products that are sustainable or support social causes or that they have that messaging that consumers are going to buy them and that ultimately is a profit decision. So I thought about that for Amazon because it's like, are they naming this climate pledge arena and, and kind of making it carbon neutral and, and, and interjecting a lot of green aspects to it because they believe that's right? Or are they doing it because they know that the PR, as we've already seen, is unbelievable and it's just going to cause people to fall in love with Amazon even more and uh, continue to increase Bezos's net worth. So, I, and and I, in in today's society where you you're forced to take a side, I, I, why can't it be both here? Like, why 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 can't this situation be both? And and I would say make the argument that it probably 
if you're Amazon, you're saying it is both. Like you're you're you believe these things, and you also believe that it'll your customer base you've trained for years and years and years. They believe in this initiative too, so that it'll increase your revenues because they'll buy more. Um, you know, you're staying on brand and you're appeasing your customers. I think the thing that kind of goes into the self-serving that with that price tag, that $30 million price tag for an NHL arena. Um, it really kind of stokes the fire on, are they potentially paying for an NBA team that's going to come there at a later date over, over the course of that 10 year deal? I mean, in the next 10, 30 to 40 million, you're, you're paying for a lot of exposure and that I just don't believe the NHL has by itself. Um, and I'm not, I know we're not, a hockey podcast, but let's just call a spade a spade. The NHL doesn't have the exposure that the NFL does, the MLB does, or basketball does. I, I just think to put that price tag on it, there's somebody somewhere saying, hey, Seattle's, there's going to be more in this arena, more events going on, more national exposure coming here that I think kind of plays into that self-serving message you were getting across. I hadn't actually thought of that. And I think that that's a, a pretty good point. And if, if we want to put on a tin hat, I think that's a pretty easy tin hat to put on. My initial thought seeing that price tag was that they would, a lot of that is going to go to the actual like construction and infrastructure, but you're absolutely right. I mean, not only do you already for sure have the NHL and WNBA and concerts and all those types of events, but the value of that naming rights goes up significantly if an NBA team comes to Seattle and calls that arena home. So I don't see how that's very and, far out of the and realm. We've, we've heard all the murmurings of NBA teams moving. Obviously the Kings have been the, you know, the poster child, but even as recently as yesterday, I've heard people talking about the San Antonio Spurs leaving. Uh, so, and which is just, you know, that's all speculation. There's no official reports, but there's definitely talks of teams moving. And I just think, you know, say what you want about Amazon. Elon's not stupid. To, to put a $30 million price tag on a WNBA team and an NHL team in that arena right now, it just, there seems, you have to think there's more forward thinking than that. Absolutely. Do you think an NBA team coming to Seattle would be a team move or an expansion? <sighs> See, that's a, that's a tough question too. I think it would be a move because I think the NBA is kind of focused they're right now at least focusing on that their G League and, and getting the G League developed fully and getting, you know, affiliated in two way contracts, fleshing all that stuff out um, more so. And, and even working with entry level players, which we can t dive into whether that's going to kill college basketball or not. But just work paying entry level high schoolers 500,000 a year to come play in the G League for a year, like that kind of thing, I think is kind of where they're looking as opposed to league expansion. Um, but who knows? Yeah, that'll be a good topic for us to kind of revisit. Um, let's go ahead and jump to the next one. This this is another quick one, but something interesting, especially because we kind of dove a little bit into esports a couple weeks ago. This week, Microsoft announced that they are shutting down their Mixer gaming platform and are going to be merging it with Facebook gaming. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, Mixer was essentially Microsoft's version of Twitch. Uh, which is a streaming platform that uh, a lot of things are streamed on Twitch. In fact, like the NWSL's uh, tournament that they're playing right now is being streamed on Twitch. But Twitch really made its heyday as being a uh, a streaming platform for gamers um, and, and kind of went hand in hand with the explosion of esports and kind of like the monetization of gaming and, and of esports. 
So Mixer was created by Microsoft and kind of made a big splash when they lured away top streamers such as Ninja and a guy named Shroud, who I'd never heard of. A lot of people have heard of, of Ninja, even who aren't in esports, like I had heard of Ninja. You better put some respect on Shroud. <laughs> put some respect on my name. Put some respect on my name. <laughs> but uh, so they they lured these guys away from Twitch by paying them just insane amount of monies. Uh, Ninja's deal was reportedly worth 20 to $30 million a, uh, in total. Shroud's deal was worth uh, upwards of $10 million. However, Mixer struggled to kind of gain the scale in viewership that Twitch had. Some of the stats I saw was uh, compared to his Twitch streams, Ninja lost over 11 million viewers, which is kind of like eye-opening to to look at. And Shroud lost 15% of his viewers. So the interesting kind of business thing here, there's a couple aspects. One, just kind of a failed attempt by Microsoft and and now... um, uh, kind of opting to merge with a, a platform in Facebook gaming where they can kind of pool resources with Facebook. And then two Ninja and shroud made out like bandits in this thing because the kind of shutdown of mixer essentially ended their contracts and they were able to get paid out in full. And now they are free agents. So they could hypothetically now sign with the highest bidder and double up on their money. $30 million, man, to play, league of legends or or any of that that's just wild but more power to them if they're bringing it in good more power to them the thing that the thing that i think is interesting and worth talking about here is at what point are we looking at this and saying we're creating monopolies across this gaming industry with all with all of this i mean yeah, when, that when are we when is twitch becoming the rockefeller of of gaming yeah, I've, that was something that caught my eye as well as this consolidation, even even at just like the tech level, not even into gaming, but just at the tech level of now Microsoft basically partnering with Facebook. I mean, those are two of the largest corporations in the world now partnering together. So it's like, at, at what point does this consolidation reach a point where like the government is getting involved and in, in looking at like antitrust right. stuff. I, I don't know. I don't, I, we, I don't think either of us have those answers, but it's interesting to see some of these condol- consolidation of services. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that continues to be perceived because in some areas, as we know, consolidation and, and monopolies are good uh, when you talk about like utilities and um, commodities, things like that. Like, having uh, structure and, and some of that consistency that comes with a monopoly or with kind of like, what is it? Oligarch, oligarchies where it's like a couple competitors. I don't, I don't know the term, but oligarchies. Yeah. I'm, I mean, like I've got to some... see an economics submission, so don't, I don't, I'm not the one to ask, but, but I like, it, it, I don't, we're not an economics podcast. If we were, we'd probably be on NPR by this point, but I just, I feel like we're this whole thing we're getting, we're kind of, towing a fine line with all of this and there's just no regulation still it's just the ga- i feel the gaming industry is just still the wild wild west we talked about it two weeks and i we talked about it more of a kind of in a micro level two weeks ago with the individual quote-unquote athletes uh there but i did this to me is a little more macroeconomics this would be my second semester of economics at michigan also made a c um <laughs> one of the hardest classes i've ever taken in my entire life <laughs> I got that was hor that economics class at Michigan is horrible. Like I, it made me it 
almost brought me to tears. I saw people walk out of Econ 102 exams in those different auditoriums. I think I had one in the Denison Auditorium. And multiple people walk out of the exam with literal tears in their eyes. You know, you know, all the listeners are probably making fun of us. We're like the sports guys who can't pass microeconomics. Like that's us. Hey, we passed. It, it wasn't pretty, but we did pass. <laughs> don't don't ask how the sausage was made, but we got there. <laughs> yeah, it yeah it it does highlight that it's the wild wild west in terms of. Uh, broadcast and streaming they're they're still figuring out but it seems like twitch youtube and facebook gaming are now going to be the main players let's maybe jump into one more quick one before we kind of spend a little bit of time on um name image and likeness also in the college realm and something that i had i have not really seen this before where under armor is basically trying to axe and do everything they can to get out of their apparel deal with ucla I don't really know all the facts here, and so I kind of want you to lay it out for me. Did, I know it, there was a lot of years remaining on the deal, but did nobody's really made any public statements as to why they want out, right? Or am I missing something? Under Armour did put out a statement that's incredibly vague. So I'll set the scene here a little bit. Three or four years ago, Under Armour signed a kind of landmark massive deal with UCLA. UCLA had previously been with Adidas. Under Armour brought them on board in a 15-year deal worth a total of $280 million. That's a that's at a clip of over $18 million a year, which is in the top like three or four richest apparel deals in the college landscape. Um, as of today, there's still 12 years left on that deal. Now, what, what, or, excuse me, what Under Armour is saying is that uh, they haven't been receiving the marketing benefits that they've been paying for, uh, and therefore that constitutes a breach of contract. So, wow. Yeah, and, and that's very gray language, but can you maybe talk a little bit about what some of those marketing benefits are uh, when a brand uses those languages? Well, uh, that's the, the, the that's the whole key right there. That that marketing benefits, that's their, their lawyer... The lawyer wrote that, and that's their gray area that they're dancing in. The the whole thing here, there's 12 years left on the 15 year deal. Somebody, they're essentially going to have to buy out the, the contract. I, I mean, I don't without having seen the contract there. If they, I don't know if they list, you know, what these benefits they should be receiving are, but if they don't, I mean, Under Armour's literally just looking to get out, and they're essentially trying to claim that UCLA is in default on the contract. But I don't know how you can argue in good faith that your marketing benefit, what that is, if it's not in writing in that contract. So let's play it out hypothetically a little bit. If UCLA kind of wins this this deal where, or wins this, uh, this in, I don't even know what it's not, an, it's not an injunction, but they're able to ax the deal. Is it something where they would likely have to pay out the remainder of the deal? It probably wouldn't be the whole total remainder. It would probably be some buyout stipulation, and it would probably be scaled down based on how many years are left. So obviously it would be a, you know, if you bought it out with 12 years left like it is now, you pay, I'm pulling a number out, let's just say $100 million. But if you bought out and ended it two years left, it'd probably be, you know, $5 million, whatever the number is, those numbers. And it probably is some kind of scale. That's what you typically see when you have buyouts over time. 
There's other contracts that you'll see that it's not. It's to buy out early at all. It's this flat fee to co- and all costs that are covered, blah, blah, blah. I mean, so it's pretty much whatever they negotiated up front. But what that goes to the whole crux of this issue to me. You don't sign a fucking 15-year deal if you're not looking down the road. You can't – and to throw to blow a 15 year deal up in year three over marketing benefits that you shouldn't be receiving, you haven't been receiving, you're the apparel company. You're supposed to help drive those marketing benefits. Like you're the one who's supposed to like Nike doesn't look at Oregon or at Oklahoma or at Texas and say, Hey, you're not driving our sales. Like they go together. That's the whole point. They rising tide raises all ships. And so I think, yes, Under Armour picked UCLA, which that's a, we can argue the the merits of picking UCLA as your, to hit your wagon to them. But three years in, that's just poor, poor negotiating if you're trying to get out of here, get out now. And a lot of people are thinking that it's because of the state of the industry now where uh, in their recent kind of sales and earnings call, Under Armour announced that they're uh, sales are down 50, 54% year over year, um, which, I mean, even you put the pandemic aside, you're, that 54% is not just because of the pandemic, right? Like that is an insane decrease in, in sales. So a lot of people are kind of trying to put two and two together and say, well, shit, if they can get out of having to pay $19 million a year for the next 12 years, and maybe they have to pay half of that, or they have, you know, they cut their losses, um, that's going to help their bottom line. It's interesting because recently at the same time, they've also renewed their deal with Texas Tech uh, for a, a further four years at about three and a quarter million dollars a year. So much more manageable, but it, it's just, it's hard to understand what the exact well, well, motive think- is. But let's let's back up and let's talk Under Armour because under let's go back what 2010 2011 Under Armour was coming on the scene and they by no means caught Adidas and Nike I mean they were def, but they were coming on the scene they were at this point to in 2011 12 they were probably the clear outright third place finisher in the athletic apparel world okay, is that a fair statement. Yeah, I think it was maybe even earlier than that. I mean, when we were in high school, uh, so for us, you know, 2006 through 2011-ish, right? Right. Under Armour was like a noun. Under Armour was, when you thought of like dry fit gear, it was just called Under Armour because they were right, the but only I one. Think they were, and I agree, And I, but I think back then Under Armour had that market, that portion of the market cornered i mean they were that's what they were and then nike and adidas came in and kind of worked, took it away from them and under armor also grew and expanded to other apparel you know other athletic apparel whereas they originally started with the dry fit compression shorts and and compression items altogether but so i think what, what i'm saying is ultimately in whatever your time frame is if we can even go back to 2007 it, i think it's probably an overtime analogy you see Under Armour grow, 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 grow. And we get to about more recently, let's say 16, 17, 18, Nike and Adidas kind of took off and left Under Armour behind. And Under Armour just kind of went stagnant. And now the coronavirus hits. And I think Under Armour went from we were in growth mode to now we were in just hold on mode to now with the coronavirus, they've gone into straight survival mode. You know what I'm saying? And 
And I think it's just you've seen the growth plateau and fall of Under Armour right here. And I think that is what's probably the driving force in trying to get out of a $280 million deal. And then to your second point of Texas Tech, that Texas Tech deal is only worth $13 million. But I would argue that they're probably getting those marketing benefits that they wanted um, at a greater value from Texas Tech than they are at UCLA. Well, right. And it, it it's even like a return on investment thing where they could be getting the same exact quote unquote marketing benefits from Texas Tech and UCLA getting the same exact value out of them. But because they're paying wildly less for the Texas Tech benefits, um, they're, they're much more valuable and impactful to the bottom line. Right. And I think that's ultimately why you see them trying to use vague BS answers as to get out of the UCLA deal. Let's go ahead now and uh, stick our hand in the bag one more time and, and grab out the, uh, the name, image, and likeness scenarios that are playing out uh, with college athletes. Yeah, which, I mean, this, there's a lot of conundrums happening, but and it all comes back to the, you know, how we're paying these guys, how, what, which guys, which players, women included, which student athletes are getting paid. It's not fair to pay these guys or not pay these people. And they're all playing out in just so different ways. Even on a state-by-state basis, they're playing out differently. Yeah, and let's maybe start with this first question of, I think it's fair to say that we both believe college athletes should be able to monetize their name, image, and likeness. Is that fair enough to say? Yes, I'm on board with that. I think what's been interesting for me to see is that I think the NCAA so far and and kind of states as well are trying to do it in a way that kind of helps alleviate some of the things you mentioned because I think that is the first question of people wondering, well, how do you decide who gets paid, who gets paid what, even within a sport like football where you're assuming, oh, you know, that's where a lot of the revenue is coming from. How do you even determine which guys on that team, how much they get? You know, what are the differences between somebody who's maybe the the star quarterback or the Heisman favorite running back or wide receiver versus the guy who's a a, a walk-on who showed up at, at tryouts one day? Like, how do you determine that? And what we've seen so far with most of the legislation that's been introduced and most of the policies that have kind of been floated is that they want this monetization to not come directly from the school's at all. And I say directly because there's still a lot of gray areas for boosters to indirectly pay these guys and make it oh, yeah. much more prevalent than it already is today because let's face secure it. Secure the bag. Yeah. Secure the bag. You used to just see it as like a, uh, a, a figurative saying that recruits like to use as they got recruited. Now it's going to be very, very literal. Very literal. No doubt. But but so I think what they're trying to do is saying, okay, the market will kind of decide brands or companies or local car dealerships will kind of have to operate um, and, and treat these student athletes as like influencers almost. And, and it'll kind of be this free market. So like the school or the conference or the NCAA isn't really putting a value on individuals. Right. They're creating. The they're they're essentially trying to create a free market to determine value of people. It is, but I mean that's what we're seeing. I think I haven't heard this before, and you brought up the influencer comparison, and I think that's a great, great comparison. Um, 
because that's really all it is. It's letting companies decide how much a student athlete is really worth. And I think it's going to be an interesting like case study to see which brands and companies do it correctly because there's kind of two schools of thought, I think. The first school of thought is maybe more the traditional marketing where somebody like, we'll just use Trevor Lawrence as a name because he's very like recognizable in college football. Somebody who's very good at the top of their game, he gets deals because brands just attach themselves to, the, to his name, regardless of maybe how interactive he is with his followers or how influence, in, influential he is to his followers. So well, that's the first school of thought. The second school of thought is kind of looking past the the depth chart or the uh, award list winners and looking at players and athletes across multiple sports, you know, across every sport who have dedicated followings and who understand how to use social media and who are able to kind of influence their group around them regardless of how big that group is. So I think it'll be, I'm curious to see which approach brands take. I'm hopeful that they kind of take both approaches because I think taking both is the only way to kind of make the pie as big as possible for all student athletes. Because if you only look at it from, well, we only want to look at star players, regardless of how actual, like how much ROI we get off of them, then players in non-revenue sports, let alone Uh, players that aren't the top players in revenue sports are going to be sitting at zero while a few athletes are sitting at six figures. So I'm hopeful that this leads to some sort of system where a lot of people are able to dip their hands uh, in the pot of gold, but it's a lot of question marks right now. And let me ask you this just as a, and maybe this will kind of be a, because there's so many question marks and really we're kind of, there's, I think there's, we should come back to this, like put a, let's keep receipts on this topic and come back and talk about it again in a few months. Cause I feel like we'll get more information, but I just want to ask, you know, in the history of this country, when we let the free market system go, it doesn't, it very rarely does it favor the socialistic. And I don't mean to, you know, I know that word comes with a stigma, but very rarely does it favor the socialistic side of things. Very rarely does it go that way. Um, so I just, if you had gun to my head right now, I'm, I just think it's hard to look at this and say that that second approach is really going to happen. And I think we're really going to start to see a dog eat dog cutthroat world of star players, you know, pulling in butt tons of money and other student athletes getting nothing. Yeah. It's hard for me not to agree with that. And I'm more, it's going to, it's, it's almost worrisome to see the dynamic that that causes. So I I agree. I think this will be something that we continue to talk about. The one thing that I do want to kind of bring to the forefront, because I'm a little maybe irrationally passionate about it, um, but you're seeing it happen a lot already where there are companies or consultants that are popping up that are offering their services to universities to teach their athletes how to monetize themselves. And to me, it's this weird catch 22 of a lot of these consultants or companies, their whole shtick is that like college athletics has been exploiting these players. Like they need to be taught how to, how to build their own brand and they should be able to make their own money. And it's, it's a shame that all of these people monetize off of these student athletes. 
yet you best damn believe that they're not giving them these seminars and teaching them this shit for free. So in a sense, they are also not even in a sense, they are quite literally also monetizing and exploiting the business of college athletics. So I just want, I, I hope that those people keep it 100 and say, hey, we're also doing this, but we're we're trying to help them at the same time. You're right. I mean, there's so much exploitation in college athletics. I think aside from FIFA, the NCAA is the most corrupt organiza- sports organization in the world. Um, and I think, yes, everybody everybody's just jumping on the train to exploit college athletes. It happens. And, and to tie into your free market scenario, um, when there's an opportunity for corruption, corruption is going to take place. Absolutely. People are people are opportunistic. That's like part of almost like our capitalist society. Uh, so so it's not a shock that it's happening. It's you know it, it's it it is what it is. But I just wanted to bring that to the forefront and make people aware that like sometimes you have to look past the uh, look deeper than just some of this surface stuff going that's going on and understand that. Um, other things are at play as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to segue us on into the play topics there, Young. Well done. <laughs> we are just becoming uh, quite the segue podcast and, and really uh, honing our chops on the segues. It's like a well-oiled machine. <laughs> so we're also going to kind of do a grab bag of play topics. The first one we kind of uh, teased a little earlier in talking about how the NWSL utilizes Twitch uh, as basically like their main, one of their main broadcast partners. The NWSL has now become the first U.S. team sport to return to action. Um, they're playing a Challenge Cup. They started games yesterday, and uh, they have eight eight of their nine teams are playing. The Orlando Pride decided not to play. I, I didn't see why. Uh, they had positive ha- tests. Okay. So they had enough, right. Which that's the, I thought that's what, when, when I saw this, I know we were, the headline is the league started woo. Um, but I, I think we're burying the lead in that one team couldn't play. Well, uh, it's just, what are we doing, man? I just, that's, I, I'm, I don't want to play if not everybody's going to play. Like, and I, I know NWSL, I don't know anything about the Orlando Pride. Like, I don't know, if, you know, if they're a big, maybe they're the New York Knicks of, of the NWSL. I, I don't know. But even if they are the New York Knicks of the NWSL, I, I, I just, the, you have a team that can't play and it's not their own choice. I just don't think that's a, a true league, you know? Yeah, that's been something I've been struggling with, too, of understanding that all of our U.S. sports, at least team sports, um, if they're even able to return to play. And yes, we understand that uh, schedules and plans have been released now when you talk about the NBA and MLB. But like, let's wait until the uh, first pitch happens or the first uh, ball is thrown up in the air for a tip off. Like, let's wait until that actually happens to say that sports have returned. The thing that I've struggled with is being like 10 years down the road five years down the road how much like what's going to be the place of these seasons or these tournaments in history not and let's talk like statistically as well like it are these are all asterisks asterisks yes they're absolutely and nwsl included included there's nobody's getting you're getting an asterisk i don't care like and and let's take it a step further if you're in the playoffs 
of any league and you're playing against a team and let's just take basketball because I think it, it's very realistic possibility. The Lakers, you're going up against them in a first round matchup and then LeBron tests positive for COVID. Like, do you, and then, you know, the eight seed, whoever it may be, Memphis, whoever, comes in and beats the Lakers. Is that really the champion? Are we really going to declare them champion? I don't think so. I think that people, ourselves included, are very hopeful that we're able to watch sports. Like, being able to watch sports will be awesome if they can do so in a way that um, it doesn't just like greatly put at risk the, people involves health like i'm all for it but at the same time i'm not like oh the 2020 nba champion is whoever wins this tournament it's just like this is better than nothing but it's nowhere near what the like actual season would be and what that impact would be for me at least as a fan right and and maybe that i'm the crazy guy here but call me radical i just don't want people to die yeah, it's gonna. I mean, what when are uh, I baseball is supposed to basically start in like a month? Basketball yep. is around basketball's around the same time, late July time frame for all of these. Yep, yeah, I mean, we are a long way from that happening, and I, I think so we have baseball to, is July 23rd, and basketball is the same weekend. So, sorry, I just wanted to get, get actual dates on there. No, that's that's uh, we're about facts here. Yep, it, it's just. I think we have to temper our expectations a little bit and understand that we're still a long way from that happening. And until they're, they're having the players actually be on site and they know that, okay, now once we test them, we can kind of, they're going to be in a controlled environment. Like we're a long way from these things actually happening. And it's hard to realize that sometimes because you, you do want to get caught up in the excitement of like, in a month, I'm going to be able to turn on the TV and watch live sports, which we all like love dearly. But I'm trying to temper expectations so that if if they don't happen, I'm not completely heartbroken once again. Right. I just it, – it's all just so sad to me because I'm – just we've said it before and I, and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but we – just think whenever you're getting excited, just think about how this would work logistically, like any of the leagues and, and baseball is by far the craziest that they think that's what's going to work. But just at a sheer you human level, use your brain, just think like, don't read anything. Just you personally think about it. How would it work? Like there's so many red flags that, that are raised in uh, five minutes of just thinking about it, you know, which uh, is, kind of a transition into a crackback but i know we have more stuff to talk about here but i'll yeah. dro- i'm gonna i'm gonna drop it anyway because <laughs> let's go it bring up. it in yep i'm doing it <laughs> yep crackback of the week coming at you <laughs> uh so my crackback this week is uh multiple nba general managers have come out um anonymous some anonymously some not um making comments about the reopening plans. Uh, Adam Silver made some comments about the reopening plans for the NBA. Um, I think we can all agree the NBA is probably the closest. Uh, obviously, the NWSL did it, and MLS is going to is July eighth, so those are happening too. Um, but the NBA of the big the big three, uh, the NBA is going to be the first one to take off. I would say 
Um, we had an NBA general manager uh, have, with this quote, Ian. I think we can all agree that it's just a cash grab. We, really, we re- recognize it isn't the safest option out there, but it's really just about getting the money to recover any losses and revenues we may be missing out on. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. So, so we literally just had one of the, not one of, the highest level executive you can have in an NBA organization outside of the owner come out and point blank admit it's about the money. Like it, it's that they, they don't want to, they don't want to play just for the sanctity of the sport, just for the sport. It's all about getting the money, the cash grab. Yeah. And he didn't even mention what a lot of people are trying to spin as the narrative of like the country needs sports. We need this for our, our well-being. Like we, we need, we need this boost. He didn't even say that. He's like, nah, fuck that. It's literally, no, we just need the money. He's, he's literally coming to you saying millionaires need, are losing revenue. So we need that back. Like that's literally his argument. Yeah, it's. I'm almost glad he said it because it's like, well, at least he's being honest, and now we're all aware, and we can all like be on the same page. And you mentioned Adam Silver. What he essentially said was that, you know, in our minds, there's no safe alternatives, so we're just gonna do the best that we can. And he should have known better than that because you know, the the Twitter comment section immediately it was like well there is actually a pretty safe alternative and that's not playing but as we've now seen by the gm statement and and really by all of these sporting leagues in their eyes because of the lost revenue not playing is not actually an option like it's not actually an option on the table and and i want to ask this and i don't want to turn dive into legalese and and make this a you know the breach of contract podcast but how much liability did they just open themselves up to by admitting that they don't care? They recognize it's not safe, but they don't care. Like to me, that is, that is literally screaming, sue me. Yeah, that's a good question. So we've seen, and we mentioned a couple of weeks ago about how universities are, are basically forcing student athletes to sign liability waivers that, you know, once they get on campus and are engaging in team activities that if they contract COVID and anything happens, it's, it's uh, the school is basically at no fault. Do you think those are waivers also being implemented at the professional sports level? That's something that we haven't actually heard about. I don't, well, I'm sure they're going to try. I, I, I question the legality of those waivers in and of itself. Like I, I you know, I think we're going to see, whether those waivers are signed or not, um, I think you're going to see, even if they are signed, you're going to see lawsuits brought where those things are challenged as even being completely invalid, that you can't waive your right to say public health. Like, you know, that's just an unwaivable, irrevocable right, I think, um, is what you're going to start to see. This is much different than a team or a university saying like, we're at no fault if you tear an ACL. Right. <laughs> this, this, uh, the pandemic and COVID-19 falls way out of the realm of like, uh, usual sports injuries. I mean, a lot of, a, a lot of events, um, in terms of their cancellations and everything have invoked what's it called? Force majeure, force majeure. Yeah. Force majeure. Which basically means an act of God. <laughs> like that's almost what it means. Correct. 
Right. Yeah, it's exactly what it means. An act of God prevented us from executing this contract or executing our duty under what we're supposed to do. So now on the flip side of that, you have universities, teams, and organizations basically trying to rid themselves of any liability if an act of God uh, takes takes one of their players or or worse. But I argue it's not an act of God anymore. Like you, you know, it's not an act of God because the whole act of God thing, it catches you by surprise. Like the act of God thing where in, when I was in law school, you, you would, we kind of briefly touched on force majeure in international trade because it was usually like you were trading with somebody and then your ship gets wiped out by a hurricane, you know, uh, in the middle of the ocean. And that's a act of God that you couldn't foresee coming. But you, the whole crux of it was you can't foresee it coming. Like this, I would argue, is we have got the, the playbook. We, we have the answers. We know COVID's here. Like uh, I don't think you can argue that it's unforeseen anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And another interesting caveat is we talked about like Maya Moore last week um, in, in saying she's not going to play in the WNBA tournament down at IMG in, in Florida. You've also now had uh, a handful of NBA players whose teams are in the Orlando tournament come out and say, we're not going for one reason or another. And that causes me to have the question of, well, what happens with their contracts in terms of their salary for this year? Right. You've got, there's so much that goes into that whole, think about it logistically. Like we haven't, nobody's even talked about that part yet of the whole, do, are we advancing people? Con, are we advancing years of contracts? Even if they don't play the NBA played 50 games is, are we still, are we advancing everybody a year? Are we are we just not are we going to let them all sit tight and say you didn't finish the year? So and and I'll tell you this, the owners probably are going to throw a fit if you say, oh, we just paid them all that money for free. We're damn sure advancing everybody a year. And the players are going to say you didn't pay us the whole salary. So don't advance us a year because we didn't get paid what we're supposed to get paid. We definitely have a fight on our hands down the road about finances and contracts. But can, can you explain what advancing a contract a year means? So your contract, and it's, it varies by league. Um, baseball is a weird one, so kind of just take baseball with a grain of salt. It doesn't really fall with everybody else. But um, basketball and football, you sign a multi-year contract as a player usually. Um, and, you know, at, at some point you're in year one, and then at some point you're advan- you've met all the criteria to be a season and you're advanced to the second year of your contract. So you're paid yearly this amount. Um, you know, it's uh, usually it's on a particular date after the season's over in November that every, uh, that everybody will advance or excuse in November, um, is baseball, but in, for basketball, it's in the summer respective sports. They there's a date. Everybody advances their year on their contract because usually you've been paid your entire salary by that point. Season's over. The draft is about to happen and we got a new year starting. So you'll go from year one to year two. Well, now with coronavirus, um, you literally stopped halfway. And so and you bring up a great thing that I hadn't even thought about either. The eight teams in, that aren't going to Orlando who aren't playing, uh, they're already there. Like, And I think that goes back to what we talked about earlier, them trying to make those teams play that eight-team consolation tournament and 
all those pickup game bullshit that they were trying to get them to do. It was probably to meet that game requirement to indeed advance those contracts. Help me to make sure that I'm understanding this correctly. So basically when the end of a league year happens, we advance people's contracts. And and a kind of tangible way to think about that is like if year one, your rate is a million dollars a year, and then year two, your rate is $1.5 million a year. When that advancement of your contract happens, now you're being paid on that new rate. Exactly. It's that your promotion, it's like your promotion date. Right. And go ahead. So teams are going to try and not let that happen because most in most contracts the advancement of them means they get more expensive especially as we know a lot of contracts are very back-end heavy financially heavy. Um, which but you'll also have the other side of the the other side of the coin you're going to have teams who are on the last year of their deal with a guy they're overpaying quote-unquote overpaying and they're going to want to advance it just to get him off the books. And they're going to get want to advance it even more because they're getting him off the books for less than what he should have been paid in that last year. So it, you're, you're going to have a, a real big catch 22 in that you're, some teams are going to want to advance contracts on certain guys and not want to advance them on others. And it's, it's you, you, we've just got a big old, it's a mess. And we haven't even talked about that yet. That part hasn't even come up. We're just trying to figure out how the fuck to play. We haven't even determined how we're paying people yet. The NBA, I, I couldn't even find any information on what the NBA is doing about salaries because I was wondering that same thing. I'm like, I don't even know if they're like been officially taking a pay cut or like what the fuck has even been going on since coronavirus happened and the pandemic started and they pulled teams off the court in the middle of the game. Like you, you can't, I, I read one article that kind of like speculated that they've all kind of taken like a 25% pay cut, but they're, they're well, like, that's, Steve, that, that's not true either because LeBron has already been paid out his entire year. He, his contract lets him be, he is paid. He got his entire salary paid out already. So LeBron is already done. And aside from the season ending, which is one of the, you know, stipulations to advance your contract, LeBron is, is done. Like LeBron has got his pay. He's got his money yada, yada, yada. And so LeBron is like the guy who doesn't, is not going to be, you can't take a pay cut because he's already got it, you know, like, and, and there's, and James Harden's the same way. And he's not giving it back. No, hell no. Well, and shit, man, I'm just thinking about this now. You think about, okay, let's use the Lakers as an example, because they are going to have to deal with this. Avery Bradley, who going into the pandemic is on their active roster says, nah, I'm not going down to Orlando. Okay. So that means they can fill that roster spot. So everybody thinks they're going to sign J.R. Smith. So not only do they, I mean, they're going to have to pay J.R. Smith somehow, like he's going to have to get paid. That would then lead me to believe they're definitely not going to want to pay Avery Bradley for not being there. But can they say that he's in breach of contract for like not playing games that he should be playing? I have no idea. They're gonna damn sure try. I, I mean, like, and and that. I mean, I'm sure. I'm hope. Part of me hopes that that was all talked about at the negotiating table when they t- said players could opt out. You know, I I have, and maybe this is naive of me. I have faith that the NBA actually negotiated well. Unlike baseball, uh, baseball is was a ex- example on what not to do, and I think still is an example on what not to do. Um, but so I guess I'm holding on to hope, whether that's a false hope or not. Uh, I would like to believe the NBA kind of hashed all that stuff out with their players before they 
moved forward. Yeah, it's two very opposite side of the coins where the MLB, as we've all known, was very public and very contentious, where the, the NBA and even with the NFL, which we'll get into closer to the NFL season potentially happening, but those talks about uh, salaries and pay have not been public at all. So I think you're correct in saying like we can only hope that the NBA hashed out these questions that even we're having because – if we can sit there and have these questions, the fucking NBA PA should definitely be able to have those questions. Right. And and there's just so many questions. And baseball, I, I'm sorry, I'm a baseball guy, and I just want to talk about baseball too because it's even more convoluted because baseball works on service time as opposed to an actual contract, which um, I, we could have a whole episode on what service time is and how it affects contracts and renewability and how baseball is the only one, only industry that's exempt from Congress from antitrust just because this whole service time deal. But baseball, they, how do you determine how much each game is worth now of service time? Because used to be your service time was based on 162 game season. So to get one year of service, one quote unquote year of service, also, just for those keeping score at home, this is you see those September call-ups in baseball. It's all about timing those this service time aspect so they can minimize how much they're paying the players. Just anyway, we'll we, we'll talk about that later. But it's just very very interesting how all of it works with rosters in baseball. But how if you're only going to play a sixty game season, which I know we sounded like auctioneers the past two days. Where it was like 114, 72, 82, 112, and just back and forth like before. Now we've landed on 60. Do those 60 count as one out of 162? Or do those 60 count as one out of 60 in every day, that every game that you are on the roster? And does your taxi squad roster, do they count as getting MLB service even though – they're not on the quote unquote 25 man or now 26 man roster that would should count to getting service. Now you've got 40. So those other 14 guys, are they accruing service time too? Like, and if they are, then it, are they, uh, are they qualified to be in the super two contract negotiation? All of these things, like it, it's really convoluted. And a lot of these issues haven't even been touched yet. And I think that this will be a perfect topic for us to talk about with our first guest who is tentatively scheduled uh, to come on in a couple weeks. So let's, let's table all of those questions, but I do have, I do want to get your thoughts on one thing baseball related. Hold on. You're uh, going to just say our first guest and not even drop a, drop a hint as to who it is. You know, I, I was thinking in my head of maybe dropping a hint, but I don't want to, uh, I don't want to tease his introduction. So, so I think we, we, we just wait. I think they know who they are. So as they listen to this, they can kind of get their shit together and get ready. Um, but for the people, <laughs> mount up. Um, but I, I, I did ultimately think that maybe the people can uh, bear with us and, and wait for the introduction in, in a few weeks. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Back to you. <laughs> so, the, the one thing about baseball that, that I wanted to get your opinion on is they've they've basically announced every team's schedule. So baseball is going to play 60 games. Um, you're going to play 40 within your division. So that is playing every team in your division 10 times. And then you are going to play the other leagues, similar geographic division for a total of 20 games. So we'll take my Detroit Tigers as an example. 
they will play Cleveland, the White Sox, and the Minnesota Twins, 10 games each. And then they will also play each you forgot, team. You forgot the pride of Kansas City. Oh, fuck. I, I always forget that the Royals are in the, are in the division now. Um, we will then also play every team in the NL Central, the Cubbies, Cardinals, Brewers, Pirates, and the Cincinnati Reds. Is that that's correct, right? That, that's right. Ran that pretty quick. Hot damn. Um, so just curious about your thoughts on this. My big question is this is obviously going to make some teams' schedules much easier than other teams. Adds another level to asterisks. What are your thoughts? Well, okay, so there's two two things I want to talk about here. I, I actually like the division-heavy schedule for this shortened stuff. I, I actually like it a lot because I think it, it helps create – determine who the best teams are. And I, I, so I, that part of it, I support. However, let's, let's run down my teams traveling that they're going to have to do, uh, because I think it's, it's pretty, for lack of a better term, scary. Um, the Astros, I know we, we following what Ian kind of showed you with the, the Tigers in the central, the Astros are in the AL West. So their division schedule is the Texas Rangers who play in Arlington uh, Seattle Mariners, obviously in Seattle, Oakland, California with the A's and Anaheim, California with the angels. Now, could you name four worse places to go for coronavirus than those four cities? Plus the new epicenter in the country in Houston. Well, and I'm not sure if, if you're aware, but Seattle, Washington is nowhere close to Houston, Texas. I've, I've heard, uh, so I've heard, um, yeah, it, I, it's just like that's. I mean, the travel part of it, like they're gonna charter a plane, like whatever, that'll happen. But let's just uh, talk about the safety measures that go with that schedule, and then let's take the NOS: San Francisco, San Diego, L.A., Phoenix, and in Denver. Which I would tell you, Denver's the only one. You're like, hey, that seems like a half good place to not catch the virus, like. Everywhere else on that list, nine out of the eight out of the nine places you're traveling to are in, having severe spikes right now. I mean, that's you're putting the Astros at a huge risk, which I know there's a lot of people out there like, yes, do it, cheaters, get rid of it. <laughs> Yankees cheated too. Yankees cheated too. They did it too. It's just the MLB saying, well, this is natural selection here, boys. So best of luck. <laughs> exactly. But I think you bring up a good point of. With the NBA, with the WNBA, with the NWSL, with MLS, doing these bubble city tournaments, um, it's much easier for them to control that environment. Not easy, but easier. When you talk about Major League Baseball, and likely when we get to the NFL and college football, which is a, a clusterfuck for a different day, you're basically having to, they already need to, like right now, be creating bubbles around team facilities and around stadiums because that's where they're going to play. So anybody who is on site for that from probably a skeleton crew of stadium staff, different team staff, whoever is going to be at that stadium, like that shit needs to be locked the fuck down right now. And I think about Wrigley Field for the Cubs, like that motherfucker is two miles up the road from my apartment that I'm sitting in right now. Like I can walk there it's in a crowded ass neighborhood. Like uh, there's people around there constantly right now. So the, the kind of uh, the task of having to basically create 
a bubble around each of these facilities, man, nah, it makes my head spin a little bit. Right. And I, I just, let's just pile on how in the world do you have owners coming out saying that they're going to play in front of fans at some point this year. That's an issue that I've had with the sports industry as a whole of, um, it's not even just teams. I'm hearing brands and people with different, you know, just different area, different veins of, of the sports industry, all kind of just wanting to hold on to this hope that, oh, it'll be fine. We'll have fans. Everything will be normal. And we talked about this, like, we, we, we talked about this in one of our first episodes where it's like, why are we holding on to this hope instead of saying, like, you know what? Like, it's not going to be like this. So we're going to innovate and we're going to be different and we're still going to make it the best that it can be. Like, we're almost hindering ourselves by holding on to this hope that gets less and less likely by the day. And uh, I, I just don't understand it. And it, it somewhat, I, it's, it's almost it, like, a, it's almost offensive almost because it's like, it's so tone deaf to everything that's going on that you're like, how are, how are these people leading the charge? Like, what are we doing here? Taylor Twelman. That's just Taylor Twelman. What are we doing? What are what we doing? What the fuck are we doing? <laughs> it's the truth it's the truth now there's one last thing i want to talk about um because i think that there is some good that can come out of these return to sports one of the reasons that some players have decided not to play um and some of the narrative around like are are these returns to sports even worth it is because of everything that's going on right now in our country in terms of social injustice and the black lives matter movement and people worrying that these return to sports plans will take away from the attention that is rightfully being put on these um, incredibly important social issues. I would like to think that we can find a way for sports to push those issues and those causes even further than they're being pushed now. Do you think that that's a realistic hope for me to have? Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, I think you've already kind of seen it. And it, it caused an uproar with Shut Up and Dribble. Like, absolutely sports coming back because you get more eyeballs, more attention, more people talking. I, I mean, yes, yes, yes. A million degrees, yes. Um, but I also think it's going to come with the criticisms again. I, that that it, you got the Shut Up and Dribbles. I think you're going to get that again. Uh, I mean, because we've shown no signs of growth since then as a country. Yeah, yeah. And I think it'll be on the league and leagues to kind of empower their the players and teams to do what they want to do. Because I think a lot of these players are very passionate. Obviously, a, a lot of them have dealt with these issues through for their entire lives. And I think a lot of them have a lot of kind of tangible things that they can do through the sport. The question is, will the league allow them to do it? You know, we've seen the NBA is is in talks right now about letting the players basically, instead of having their last name on on the jersey, have something that is kind of more denoting um, a, a social cause and, and what's going on. The WNBA, who is always really at the forefront of of this conversation, innovation. Can we just call a spade a spade? The WNBA is probably on the forefront of lots of innovation socially and and otherwise correct 
they I've seen mock-ups where like the courts that they play on are are really decked out in proper messaging and different jerseys and things like that. You know, cuz at the very least we know that players in press conferences can can use that platform to have these conversations. But I think that there's a lot of opportunity for more integration within the actual game because when the eyeballs are on the game, I think there's a way to make sure that that doesn't mean the eyeballs are off the social cause. Right. I agree. And I think, it, and I think we kind of see it. We, I mean, we saw it in, I think, a small degree before with you know, the Black Lives Matter and, and, and the, with the Clippers owner, uh, Sterling. We kind of we saw a little bit, I think, a small fraction of what you would see today um, in kind of what people would do and how the leagues would approach it all. And so maybe I need to back walk back my previous statement in that there was no growth. I think we have grown uh, a, a little bit and I think there would be more more of it. And I think it's I welcome it. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a time for it to be capitalized on and that growth to really be pushed take a larger leap. I, th- I think before we've taken small steps of growth, now is the time where a leap of growth needs to happen. And uh, the circumstances couldn't be more ripe for that leap to be incredibly powerful. Very well said. All right. So let's go ahead and, and transition into our dedicated segments of the week. You already... Uh, you yeah, already, I jumped the gun. I got excited. You, you jumped the gun. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say you already busted your nut, and then I was like, ah, but you know, there we are. <laughs> hey, great minds think alike. Uh, uh, so, right, but is is there one that I had that that yes. you wanted me to muse on? <laughs> well, I feel like the, you have one in all caps, which I feel like you is that the one you would like to drop, or because I'm intrigued by your draft lotteries one. Yeah, may. You know, I think I can kind of do both because the first one is kind of quick and it's not super sports related, but it is something I'm passionate about. Give give the people what they want. Give them both. (laughs) So I'll start with my crack back of the week. Um, So I've been back in Chicago for a couple weeks now after spending upwards of four months um, at my parents' house back in Michigan. And recently, Chicago and the state of Illinois has moved into uh, phase four, which is just another phase of like opening everything back up. And what that has included, which has been of excitement to a lot of people, is that the Chicago Lakefront Trail is now open for walking, jogging, running, and biking. The Lakefront Trail is is self-explanatory. It literally is what it is. Runs along the coast of Lake Michigan. I think it's like it's like a nine to fifteen mile trail, really. I, I don't know. I pulled both of those numbers out of my ass, but it basically covers the entire like Chicago City coastline. Now they have a couple of requirements. They have this tagline of "keep it moving" because they want people to kind of use it as like exercise and and uh, transportation, which it does get used for um, even like pre-pandemic. They require that you wear a mask at all times. And they also require that you maintain six feet of distance from people that are not in your kind of usual party of people. So me being somebody who just likes to kind of piss myself off, I guess, decided that yesterday as I was out for a walk in the city that I should go check out the Chicago Lakefront Trail and and kind of, you know, see it for my own two eyes. <laughs> and boy, was it was it quite the experience, bud. Um <laughs> 
people you are telling keeping me it moving. So much social distancing, masks everywhere. <laughs> Man, I was never so proud. No, it was a fucking nightmare. So uh, not only are people obviously not wearing masks and not having distance or doing any of that stuff, but you also actually have um, a city employees who, to my from the about four that I saw, they look like they're like high school kids who are supposed to be monitors. So they've got um, different like shirts on and and they're kind of standing. They probably just called your local intermediate schools to get hall monitors. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but they look like they're like high school, college age kids and they are supposed to be enforcing the guidelines of the trail. Now that's a tough job because you're dealing with a shit ton of people. And to be the one that has to try and like tell people you can do this or because you're not doing this, you got to get off the trail. Like that's a shitty situation to be in, especially as a high school or college age kid. Um, but these people seem to take it a step farther because out of the four that I walked past, uh, one had a mask on the other three had them just chilling around their neck. So I'm just like, so we just really don't give a fuck at all. Like we just completely don't give a fuck. And, and- so I just want this. I'm going to go on the record. I'm doing it. I'm saying it. And you've and if you are a complainer about a mask, uh, like not wearing a mask, you you can't complain when sports don't come back. Like, sorry, they go hand in hand. Like you 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 can't complain about wearing a mask and then complain that sports aren't coming back. So that's just it's it. And I think that's a good place for us to leave our rant on that subject. <laughs> yeah, I so agree. I'll, I'll I'll channel this heat that we have into my official fire breather of the week, which is draft lotteries are complete and absolute bullshit. Now I had kind of thought this for a while, um, just watching the NBA draft lottery. Like it, it's somewhat interesting sometimes. There's a little bit of uh, excitement, but at the end of the day, like I just always feel like teams get screwed, uh, and then. This week, the NHL held their draft lottery, and it was maybe one of the biggest debacles in draft lottery history. Frozen envelope. So current, there with the frozen envelope. So there's there's two key things. One, which is kind of a bias, where the Red Wings are the worst team in the NHL currently. They have the worst record by 23 points, which, correct me if I'm wrong, 23 points is a lot of points in hockey. Yes, that's like... 13 games, uh, maths are 12 games. So they are uh, in, unequivocally bad this year. So you would think, oh, they'll probably get the number one pick. Uh, maybe worst case, they get the number two pick. The Detroit Red Wings secured the number fourth pick in the NFL draft or NHL draft, excuse me, next year. And the number one pick is currently held by an unnamed team because it was won by a placeholder for a team that is currently playing or scheduled to play in the NHL playoffs. And and I think we would be remiss if we didn't we didn't say that this uh, NHL draft debacle was brought to you by producer Kennedy. She brought this to the show. Um, yeah, it's just nuts. Well, but let's. I think the NHL draft lottery is the whole placeholder, how in the world we got to a placeholder situation is just, you shouldn't have that. Like there should be always be a holder of the pick. If you're in the lottery, like you could trade if even if the pick was traded to you and you're a playoff team, you still hold the pick. There shouldn't be a placeholder. Yeah, I, it's unbelievable. But let me ask you this. So, since you're, you're against these draft lotteries. Uh, do you think 
but if you got rid of them, are we incentivizing losing? Maybe, but to me, I think that if a t- in my opinion, if a team wants to tank, let them tank because as we've seen across all sports, number one picks don't always work out. So just because you tank to get a number one overall pick doesn't mean that you're going to have success after that. So it's still, in my eyes, it's still a risk. Um, so it's not something that I worry like really messes with the integrity of the game at any level. And I I think it's just at the end of the day, the best solution, because now there's just too many times that a draft lottery has been won by a team who, um, really shouldn't have that high of a pick. So yeah, will it incentivize losing? Maybe will, will the ROI on that losing be great? sometimes but not enough for me to be really like worried about it i like it i hear it i i could i could be all right with their with them being gone so that that's my two cents on that one and our obligatory hockey talk brought to you by hashtag producer kennedy aka the dead kennedys uh so is that does that mean it's time to move into uh the fantasy five aka watch cullen put a list of better items together than ian this week (laughs) that is that is the uh, the clock has struck that time, it seems, unfortunately. <laughs> so, folks, for those who don't know, uh, we are to the Fantasy Five. Um, the Fantasy Five each week will pick a topic, um, and we, Ian and I will pick a team of five, um, five items that pertain to that topic, and we'll pick the two lists against each other, and we'll uh, put it on social media uh, for you guys to vote to see who has the best list. Um, last week was the first week uh, that we, we – took our talents to social media and as we as expected uh the better team came out on top (laughs) and so uh we've got a where this is week eight and we're currently sitting in a six and one record um on the fantasy five this week uh the topic is disney movies um and that includes disney pixar movies but it is a disney movie uh and ian as you know, we do use the snake system in our draft because we are a society and it separates us from the animals. Um, and we, the winner of last week, me, uh, will get the choice of whether they want the first overall pick or the two, three pick. Um, and Disney movies, I think is one of the few rare topics where there is a God, uh, number one overall pick. It's not close. Um, so I'll take the number one overall pick, and with it, I got Lion King. Yeah, hard to argue. Lion Lion King was at the top of my list. It's a absolute classic. Uh, yeah, it, you can't pass up on Lion King. It's it's just it's the best there was. Did you see? Speaking of, did you ever see the like live action Beyonce voiceover version? I did. I did. Did it hold up to the original? Uh it's good, but I'm still taking the original. Uh, the original is, is still, is still the one for me. Okay. Fair enough. With the two and three pick, I'm going to take quite the duo here. I think a dynamic duo, uh, with the number two pick, I'm going to take, uh, the original toy story. And with the number three pick, I'm going to take finding Nemo. Ooh, finding Nemo early pick. Wow. Yes, sir. Did not see that one coming. Uh, but I did have Finding Nemo on my board, uh, so I, I have to give you props for that pick. Um, but 
it, I didn't. I think you might have jumped the gun a little early. Yeah, I don't know. Finding Nemo, I, I, Toy Story, I think is like an obvious one. But Finding Nemo, when I was going through my list, was just one that always stood out to me as one that I enjoyed the first time I've watched it. I've enjoyed it on rewatches. Um, it it can it can get you emotional at times. There's good comedy. It, it checked all the boxes for me, and I wanted to have it on my team. I, I, I it's hard to go against that pick. Um, all right, next, I I think I'm gonna do take um these two. I I can't believe, um, I honestly can't believe this one made it. Um, Emperor's New Groove is is coming is coming coming aboard. Uh, I think one of the most criminally underrated movies Disney movies out there. Uh, hilarious, Crunk's hilarious, Cusco, take it. Emperor's no new groove. Welcome aboard. Um, and next, I'm taking Hercules. Um, I think Hercules is also up there with gives you a little comedic relief. Whether you're old, you're young, you can enjoy the movie. Um, it's funny. Phil is a hilarious character. Hercules. Yeah, neither of those were on my uh, list at all. Wow, Hercules, I can see. Emperor's New Groove. I was just, I, I was just very iffy on both of those movies personally, um, but they are certainly Disney classics. I Let's just really see, don't. Now feel I've like got, you're, based on past results, I feel like you're. I'm the man of the people <laughs> when it comes to, to fantasy fives. Yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. So with uh. The number, let's see, this is now number six pick, the third pick for my team. I'm going to go ahead and take Mulan. Another one on the board. There's another, just one of my favorite Disney movies, always holds up. Um, Love everything about it, actually. And with the fourth pick for my team, I'm going to go ahead and take a more recent Disney movie, uh, Moana. Moana. See, I, I haven't seen Moana and I've been told that's my own fault. Um, but I, I just couldn't bring myself to pick a movie I hadn't seen. Um, so, so that could be a sneaky good pick there. And I may, that may be do me. in if a lot of our listeners have heard, seen that one. Consider that your homework for the week is, uh, finding a way to watch Moana just so that you can at least, uh, decide whether you believe it should be in that place or not. Got it. Got it. I, uh, Put that on the list. Don't catch COVID in Amarillo and uh, and watch Moana. It's on the list. Um, all right, next. Uh, so I am going to take – I'm, I'm torn. You've left me too many on my big board, and I'm very torn. All right. I, well, I'm taking Inside Out because that movie is just uh, – it's a newer one, and I agree with you. Um, it, it's – I've Uh-oh. never even heard of this movie. Oh no! Well, you've got homework now too. Um, you you struck me with this uh, newer movie, and this is my favorite newer Disney movie. Uh, so I'm, I've got Inside Out coming off the board um, at with the fourth round pick, and then last. Oh man, I'm it's tough. I'm really torn between two: the classic or kind of a new one. I, I shouted them out last week. They were my shot, part of my Shire Norris shout out last week. I'm doing it. 101 Dalmatians coming off um, at, at the fifth pick. Uh, I could could end up regretting this, but we'll see. I'm I'm glad you stayed true to the shout out that got us on to this topic. <laughs> I had to. Had so to, ra- to round us off, round us off. Yeah, 
uh, with the 10th pick, my fifth and uh, closing pick on my team, I'm going to go ahead and take Monsters, Inc. Wow. That was not on my list. An underrated. Looks like he's got a couple Bronx Bombers on his team over here, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Could this be the week that Ian storms back? Um, all right. Well, so let's give you the, let's give everybody the rundown. Let's um, so my list, the far superior list. My list is Lion King, Emperor's New Groove, Hercules, Inside Out, and 101 Dalmatians. Uh, going against Ian's Toy Story. Uh, and just to be clear, that's Toy Story One, correct? Correct. Toy Story One. All right. Toy Story, Finding Nemo, Mulan, Moana, and Monsters Inc. Uh, so there you have it. That's the Fantasy Five. Uh, Ian, did you have any on the on the big board that did not get drafted? Yeah, I had four. Uh, three of which I was trying not to draft because I kind of wanted us to keep it in this in the classic like animated uh, Disney movies. Um, and then I had one animated one. So Lilo and Stitch was on my board. And then I had three that I'm kind of proud of us for not for not picking, although they are powerhouse movies, cool runnings, holes, and remember the Titans. Yep, yep. I, I, I agree with you. I was kinda wanted to stick with the animated. I had holes on my list too. Um uh, I think incred I had Incredibles, uh, uh and Aladdin. Ah, yes, me too. I had Incredibles and Aladdin. I think that both deserve um a shout out and I was very torn at the end between 101 Dalmatians and Incredibles. Uh, so if you were, if you were mad that Incredibles didn't make the list, uh, pretend I took them. I'm glad we both had holes because that is just a powerhouse movie. It is so good. Old Shia LaBeouf. Can, can we talk about the fall from grace of Shia LaBeouf? Uh, I wouldn't, he maybe fall out of mainstream, but Shia still has just an incredible amount of roles out there. I I I, th- I still like Shia quite a bit as an actor, and um, Holes was my first introduction to him. Well, with that note, my Sayonara shout-out. Shia LaBeouf uh, has a lot of roles that I didn't know about. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to add that. That's going to be my Sayonara shout-out is uh, – Shout out Shia LaBeouf for having more roles than I knew of. <laughs> yeah, now uh, add that to your homework. I also just have one Sayonara shout out this week. Um, I would like to give a heartfelt goodbye to Martha Ford as she has stepped down as the principal owner of my pride and joy Detroit Lions. Uh However, she has just simply passed the torch to her daughter. Um, Martha is currently 94 years old, which is incredible. Uh, I hope to be 94 years old just in general. I can't imagine being like the principal owner of a professional football team at 94 years old. Her daughter is 69. Uh, so I, I still have some some concerns as a Lions fan, but it was probably the right time to at least make the shift within the family. I, I yeah, I mean, if you look at the on-field product the Lions are putting forward, I am not so shocked to find out that a 94-year-old lady was running the team. She, so I like I didn't get to meet her, but I got to see her from afar um, in 2015. Myself, my dad, my mom, my buddy Ray, aka the Big Gun quarterback, went to Lambeau Field. Uh, to watch the Lions play the Packers. The Lions won that game. It was the first game the Lions had won at Lambeau in my entire life. At that point, I was 23 years old. 
and the Lions had just won their first game at Lambeau. But to be there was fucking incredible. Like, uh, my uh, mom got a picture of my dad, my buddy Ray, and I, like, hanging over the wall at Lambeau, like, slapping hands with Golden Tate after the game. And uh, we went and, like, waited outside the fence where the Lions buses were, and we saw Martha. And I just remember her having this, like, glowing smile on her face and, like, People were chanting, Martha, Martha, Martha. Now people are chanting, sell the team, sell the team. <laughs> so, it's been a hell of a four years, but um, the Ford family, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's kind of cool that the Ford family owns the Lions. There's obviously a lot of history with, with the Ford family in Detroit and with the Lions in Detroit. Um, so we'll, we'll see how this goes. Yeah, uh, I think I – think, um... You know, you can't go much, much lower. Uh, so maybe it's not the maybe it's the fall from grace of Shia LaBeouf and the fall from grace of Martha Cook on the way out. Martha Ford. Who, who's Martha Cook? Yeah, who is Martha Cook? I, I don't know. I was thinking like Martha Stewart, thinking? Cook, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Anyway, Martha Cook, let's wrap it up. <laughs> it's amazing how our brains work. So one more time, uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Cutback Pod. Uh, that is where we will be posting the official vote voting uh, polls for the Fantasy Five. So be sure to go throw us a follow and vote on the polls. Also, uh, interact with us in terms of what you want to hear, what you think about the topics that that we talk about, uh, questions that you have for us. Uh, we love the interaction and we want to bring that on to the podcast. Yeah, tell your you friends. You can also too. listen to us. Tell on your tell your mom. Tell your mom we are the Moms Podcast here too. Don't forget. So tell tell everybody you know. Uh, we, we, we want listeners. Yeah. And, and while you're at it, you know, you can throw Colin and, and myself follows on, on both of those platforms as well. You can find our ads in our, in the bio of the podcast. Uh, you can listen to us on Spotify, or if you're not a Spotify fan, go ahead and check us out at anchor.fm forward slash the cutback. So with those plugs, uh, officially plugged in, this has been the cutback podcast until next time, keep your head on a swivel and try not to get laid the fuck out. Oh.